Every day, I am getting one step closer to having another healthy baby, and Caraway Home is helping me do that. Their ceramic, naturally slick surface cookware allows you to cook with minimal butter. Uh, they're very easy to clean, just a little warm water, you wipe it down. And the best part is, is that Caraway products are made without any toxic materials like BFASs, BTFEs, and a bunch of other things like I can't even pronounce. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, right now, visit Caraway wayhome.com slash TSFS to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive to my Sarah Fraser Show listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash TSFS or use code TSFS at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. It's time for you to see what all the fuss is about, read about their five-star reviews and why so many TSFS fans buy Caraway Home. Order now. Tonight, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Prove it. Taylor Swift: The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney Plus. Join Reddit on Wiki every Monday and Friday for some of the most jaw-dropping stories Reddit has to offer. With each episode, John, Sean, and Josh meticulously curate the most engaging content from Reddit, transforming it into a podcast experience filled with laughter, awe, and sometimes disbelief. I, I bet. Get ready for a roller coaster ride of emotions with the most captivating stories from the corners of the internet. Subscribe to Reddit on Wiki wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Dr. McGee Plastic Surgery in Bethesda, Maryland. Thinking about a mommy makeover, breast augmentation, maybe your eyelid surgery, little mini facial. He's the best of the best. Board certified and new patients get 10% off when you mention the Sarah Fraser Show. Book Dr. McGee at CosmeticPlastics.com. All right, Natasha, this is like uh, this is like our fun radio like girlfriend who is on today's podcast episode. I, I found this woman on TikTok and then shared her with you. I'm like, I'm obsessed. She is so funny. She's so gorgeous. She works in radio. She has this enormous TikTok following. She does this great British accent. And we're talking about Mason on the mic, by the way. If you don't know this woman, you need to follow her on TikTok. She's amazing. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm like fangirling a little. Me too. Um, okay, well, Mason, <laughs> thank you for doing our podcast. And we can't wait to talk to you just about like your radio career, how you find confidence, um, how you how you develop your content, all of the above. You gave me quite the introduction. And I don't know. I feel like my head's going to be too big for this now. I'm like, <laughs> I shouldn't be here. I should be in Hollywood. <laughs> I like I I told Natasha this and I told you Mason this when you and I chatted on the phone. I watched your stuff and I was like, she should be a stand-up comic. There's something Joan Rivery like about you. I'll take it. You know, there's just something Joan Rivers and it's it's so good. It's very authentic. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, uh years of uh emotional <laughs> trauma that I deflect and use humor with. 
Um, all right. Well, before we kind of backtrack and start at the beginning, because I think mm-hmm. Natasha and I always love to start at the beginning with someone's story. Um, you you kind of came on my radar because you so openly went on your TikTok a couple weeks ago and you were like, I've been fired. Um, I'm fired. And you did this. So tell us, like, you're a radio host and you just got fired. <clears throat> I did. I did. Uh, for the second time in my, my radio career. And I'm not going to lie, there was a portion of me that was – now that I do mornings, I think I will never look at being fired as the same way. I'll be like, oh, I get to sleep in. <laughs> so like, there's always like, you never want to lose your job because, you know, how are you going to pay your bills and whatnot? But when I woke up this morning at 5 a.m. to go to the bathroom, I was like, I would have been at work for an hour already. Like, felt really good about it. <laughs> Um, when you got fired, you know, because our industry, obviously, I worked in radio for years. Natasha was married to a man for years that was in radio. You know, like in radio, there's always this saying, you haven't been in radio until you've been fired. Um, so were you ever embarrassed? Like, I was never embarrassed. I always thought it was a badge of honor. But when I would tell people, like, I, I was, I think I was fired from four or five radio jobs. People would be like, oh, wow, fired four times. I, <laughs> like, I think oh, radio is... Radio is such a different industry and it is very different than like, oh yeah, I've been fired from four Papa John's. It's like, what did you do? Um, but radio is such a difficult business. You know, a lot of it makes no difference of how good you are. I mean, to get a job, it's it's just all about timing and ratings and, you know, sometimes has nothing to do with you. I like to pretend nothing has to do with me. It's everyone else's fault but mine. Never could anything be my issue. So start at the beginning. When did you get your first radio job? And what were you like in high school? Were you like, I mean, I was always doing the morning announcements. Natasha worked in promotions in radio. Like we were kind of always drawn to the biz. Were you? So I, my, my dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. So he was in the Navy and uh, was born in Hawaii. And then we moved to Charleston, Virginia, uh, Italy and then Seattle. And so it was my next door neighbor in Hawaii did the nightly news. And so I always wanted to be on the nightly news. And so when I went to college, I uh, went to Washington State University um, for their Edward Armour School of Communication, also the same, same school that the U of I recent murders that that guy oh, went to gosh. that school. So the, this is like the guy, the Idaho um, murderer, yeah. right? The guy yeah. that yeah. went to the the kid's home and killed yes. four of them or whatever. Yes. He went to the so, same university you did. He went to WSU, Washington State University, to study criminology and how to get away with, yeah. So that's my new claim to fame. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Edward R. Murrow School of Communications there is, is is pretty good. And so that's what I had every intention of, of studying broadcast when I got there. But when I got there, every blonde girl wanted to be on the news. And I was like, oh, screw this. So I changed to advertising and really enjoyed it. But my last semester there I was in a sorority and I was cleaning my room and um, I needed an internship and I had the local radio station on and they said that their intern didn't show up so I called them and I was like I'll be your intern and they said do you have big boobs and I said I do (laughs) super super inappropriate but they hired me and (laughs) only a different time different time 
different Very times only in radio except only, they ask you that it, the craziest part though is except only 10 years ago you know when people hear that they think oh was she hired in 1988 you're like that was 2010 no yeah yeah so um i did the afternoon they didn't have a morning show that because it was a college town so they had an afternoon show and um i was you know the third mic with two dudes and wasn't really allowed to say much except for <laughs> which just really isn't me. Um, but they gave me my own show from seven to nine, I think, or five to seven and didn't teach me anything except for press this button. So I graduated and got a real job, real job, um, at McGavern Guild Radio, which is a radio rep firm. They basically worked as middlemen between ad agencies and radio stations across the country. And I worked there for a few years. And the guy that trained me was leaving to go work um, for Intercom doing production work. And so he helped me put together an air check. And Move in 92.5 was a brand new station in Seattle. And I applied. And I think I heard back within 24 hours. Um, he wanted to make sure that my voice sounded um, similar because it had been a long time since I had been on air in college. And so <laughs> brought me in, hired me to do weekends. I did weekends for a year. And then when they fired the morning show and moved the afternoon girl up to mornings, I did her job for 13 years. So nice. Yeah, that, that's my radio history. Oh, my God. And then you were there in Seattle for 13 years, right? And then got the job in yeah. Dallas to host your own morning show. Yes, yes. I mean, um, but I had gotten let go because of COVID. Um, so I was ready to leave, um, but I don't know if I would have left because it was a very cushy job. And I knew that I needed to be pushed out. So it was definitely a blessing in disguise. And unfortunately, um, you know, with COVID and everything, I was unemployed for about a year and a half, which was very stressful, but also very nice. Um, I'm really good at being unemployed, like not to brag or anything, but like it's right up my alley. Fun employed I'm is really the best. It. It's yeah. like you're kind of applying, you're having fun, you'll be employed mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Yeah. Going into like get that's a huge gig. Like you're hosting your own morning show and in Dallas, which is a great market, were you terrified, intimidated at all? Or were you just um, like yeah, ready I mean, for this? I had never done mornings before and it was definitely one of the hardest but most rewarding years. Um, I learned so much about myself as a person. Um just so many things that I don't think I'd had to deal with. Um, because I mean, when you never have like a real job, I just always remember too, like responding to emails. It's like, I don't remember how to do this. <laughs> you know, when you don't work in an office atmosphere, but I hadn't had to be organized. I didn't have to, I mean, I did afternoons for 13 years. So I never woke up before like 9am and here I am waking up at, at 3 a.m. You learn a lot about yourself, but it was definitely, there was so much new stuff. I mean, it's a very, it's a completely different game to do mornings versus afternoons and then a completely new system. And I mean, it was, it was definitely scary initially, but um, actually the, the day that they let me go when I got back from vacation, I just remember going, I really love doing this, like just radio in general. Like I, I really do when you're comfortable and you're having fun, like the audience has fun. And I just, I really do like this business. 
Isn't that the best part? I always loved how it's so interesting to me. Yes, people connect with people on TV, but it's a different way when they listen to your voice. I don't know what it is. What do you think it is that people are so attracted to about radio? I don't know. I mean, I think it's at least for some of the shows, like the the syndicated shows or even just like the bigger ones, like they feel like they have more access to you. You know, it's obviously not on the same even wavelength as, as like a, a, a real celebrity and Angelina Jolie, but you know, for, for smaller personalities and whatnot, like they have more access to you. Like Angelina Jolie is never going to respond, respond to your DM, but you have a shot with someone <laughs> on your local morning show yeah, responding. Will, yeah. And so you feel like you get to know them and, and, I think that's the aspect that you get a lot more realness out of radio than I think you do on TV. Yeah. That personal connection. Yeah. Um, Natasha and I have bared our souls on this fucking podcast series together that we have done like every high and low of radio. And, (laughs) you know, I always, I'd love to hear a story like, or what's somebody, what's something, I mean, the boob thing alone, right. Is crazy. What is something that someone has said to you that's unique to our industry that maybe other women, you know, in different corporate places or, you know, even if they're working at a Papa John's could relate to? And I'll just tell you mine. I mean, it was always interesting. Like even in 2010, I would have male, female program directors say to my face, because I would always say, I want my own morning show. I want my own show. They'd always say, Sarah, women don't want to hear other women on the radio like that's why you have to have co-hosts you have to have a man you have to have other like the guys anchor it the women are the voice of reason I mean numerous people tell me this and that's why I love seeing call her daddy I love seeing these these Mm -hmm. female podcasters be so influential now because in our industry for years it was like oh women could never lead a show I'm just curious if you have a story or somebody said something to you in our business that people are that you wouldn't even believe I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, I, I was really lucky. I, I know for like the, the majority of my career in Seattle that I was in a very special situation, um, you know, creating, we created that station. We made it what it was, you know, there were two heritage stations and we overtook them. And we did a lot of like guerrilla marketing between all of us, you know, tearing down um, flyers and stream, not streamers, uh, banners and whatnot. And so I was very close with all the boys at the station. And I think I had a PD. He wasn't my PD at the time. Um, But he said something to me about like they were we were talking, we were doing an air check meeting and they made some sort of joke about the Super Bowl or something. He's like, oh, you wouldn't get it. It's about sports. <laughs> and I just remember going, number one, that's true. <laughs> number two, that's offensive. And if anyone has a really good sense of humor here, it's me. <laughs> but like, I didn't get that much of like misogynistic stuff, thankfully. Wow, um, you're lucky. But I'm also a pushy broad and I, I look back on my time, um, I don't know so much professionally, but I think personally, I was definitely a pick me chick. Definitely. Like, yeah, let's go to the strip club. No, 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 it's totally fine. I, yeah, let's do it. And then I'd get there and I'd be like, well, now what? Like, 
like this you guys are all getting lap dances this is nothing for me i'm on, okay so i think i lucked out to some extent i there's a lot of like not so bright stuff in radio but in terms of you know, the, the female aspect I lucked out, but I, I do still have like this chip on my shoulder to some extent, I think just in terms of just the industry itself of, I don't want to be someone's laugh track and I want to create something that shows that women can lead and can be the center of the show. And, you know, they, they told women back in the day, you could never be on the radio because your voices are too annoying. And to some extent, I, I remember buying into that, you know, that eternalized misogyny that most women who do well on radio have voices that are in the octave of Delilah, myself. basically. <laughs> it's, it's a lower register as opposed to, hi guys, like, it's a little bit harder to listen to. So I bought into that to some extent, and I don't necessarily think that's true anymore. I think the right personality and the right everything it doesn't matter. I mean, there's so many people in radio with speech impediments. It's out of control. So I'm like, <laughs> anyone can do anything. You put your mind to it. Well, and there's so many people now that do podcasts with complete vocal fry <laughs> that do so well. And I'm just like, okay, I guess Goner. I get accused of vocal fry all the time. Really? And... What is vocal fry? Well, vocal fry is intentional. It's when you talk, like, uh, if you try to make your voice. It's whiny. Sound like mine, basically. <laughs> the Kardashians are <laughs> accused of it. And essentially, they're policing women's voices. And sometimes it's not in a woman's control. But a lot of it sometimes, too, because I do all my TikToks in bed. Like, when I'm laying down, my voice sounds different than when I'm projecting. So, lay off me, is basically. <laughs> like, Totally fine. Do you think the radio industry has gotten is getting closer to women being on a at least a closer level with men? Like when I worked in radio was gosh, almost 20 years ago, early 2000s, and the sexual harassment then was like beyond belief. But then it was just part of that's part of being in this industry. You want to work with a bunch of men, then you're going to have to take them objectifying you or making, you know, completely inappropriate comments um, to the interns. Like I was an intern and stuff. Do you think they've, they've evolved some, or is it still just a bunch of good old boys that are going to do things the way they want to do them? I think it depends on the market. I think um, definitely the smaller markets, I think get away with a lot more than they should. Um, because they don't really have people holding them accountable. Um, you know, I'm in a females group on Facebook of, of radio women. And some of the stuff that I hear women talking about, like, I just, why do you put up with that in terms of money more than anything? Like, well, I wouldn't be doing this for $25,000 doing eight people's jobs. Like, I mean, I've always said, if you're going to be a bitch, you better be good at your job. And if you're not good at your job, well, then you better be nice. And it's kind of the same thing with radio. It's like, if you're not going to pay well, then this job better be fun. And <laughs> if it's no longer fun, well, then I better be getting paid to for this abuse. Um, so a lot of it, I don't necessarily think is radio. It's just corporate America versus 
because it is a very unique industry in which some of it probably is because it's more male dominated, but a lot of it is when you're dealing with entertainment that there is not as many, there's different rules because you're talking about some of that stuff. It's like maybe porn isn't banned at work because, well, sometimes you have to go look up stuff for a story. You know what I mean? So it's, it's different. I know. It's so, I was just talking to a cousin of mine who works in a corporate world. And anyway, they were getting ready to fire a guy who basically sent a woman a dick pic and, you know, she complained about it. She did not want him to send it. And I think, like, I think she, you know, she told him that and he said, oh my God, you know, I won't do it again. Anyway, the long story short was like, you can't send dick pics at this job. And I'm like, oh my God. In ours, we were like, we were reviewing. I know. I'm like, I'm so glad I don't work there because for years we were like reviewing dick pics. Like, oh my God. You know, it is such a weird industry, right? You're like, gosh, if we got an unsolicited dick pic at Hot 99.5, we would have been like, that would have been a whole segment, you know? (laughs) Well, and then I look at stuff too of things that you don't think of as being offensive until like years later. Like we had, when I think about it now, and I've always had a sense of humor about it. So anything that bad that's ever happened to me or if I'm like, ooh, this is going to make a good story. (laughs) Like I don't, I think that's an unhealthy way of dealing with things, but it's how I deal with things. Um, But we had an engineer um, at a station. He has since passed away and he was in a rascal scooter and he would like ask the girls to go to meet him at the Holiday Inn to go dancing. And I remember like him doing that and I can remember being uncomfortable about it but I also remember telling everyone about it and how weird and creepy it was so like I think I probably ruined his reputation from just look at this creep did he think I want to go dancing like can't he dance he's in a scooter I know right we all like you can't get away with that now no no. I remember being asked to like take my top off and just like but it was it was a bunch of morning show guys and that was entertaining so it's like you said it was a very blurred line of well it's entertaining so they can kind of harass you like that but it's also completely inappropriate and an inappropriate power structure because you know the host or my boss right right but yeah and at the time I was just like Eh, well, I said no and giggled my way out of it, but now I'm like, dude, that's batshit crazy. That right. Well, and I think that was my normal. sense of humor is it's how I dealt with bullying when I was younger, and it's the same way I deal with things that make me uncomfortable or people who are mean to me now. And I'm like, I'll show you my tits if you show me your dick. <laughs> but hold on, let me get my camera first. So, like, I never really. You always gave it back to them. I always, I always felt that way too. Like. To I was like, oh, if you think you have a warped sense of humor, like, let me respond. You know, like, I mean, it was, right. I was always like that too, I think, which, um, you know, yeah, is, it's it's hard to know, right? Because some women are just like that. They also can be like, right. you know, kind and of raunchy. And that's not everyone's and, personalities. Right, and right. I, I don't think that that's something, that's not me saying, well, you should just give it back to them. Like, that's, that's who I am at my core. And I certainly don't think that everyone should do that, nor should they have to. Nor is that something that maybe is even in their wheelhouse. If something makes you uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable. And we are at a point in time that it is ridiculous if you say something makes you uncomfortable and nothing gets done about it. You got an issue. 
And at this day and age, like I'm shocked. I mean, the amount of training and stuff that things that we go through that there can be any question anymore. You know, like I, even some of the, the videos that um, we had to do, um, I thought were really well done. I almost was like, can I post this? you know, of explaining what some of like, in terms of like diversity and why some of that kind of stuff is important. Um, you know, I would love to, to reshow this stuff on, on the internet. So is, it's like, we have this training and. Oh, is this like internal training? Like within the radio? Yeah, okay. Okay. And you were training. like, oh, this is really good. They should, right. they should publish this. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But I don't remember. I don't remember a whole lot of stuff. It was mostly like diversity and, you know, saying offensive things, uh, but not from like a sexual harassment. Um, but then I look back and I'm like, how many things have I said or done that I probably shouldn't have oh, well. back in the day? I mean, there's just all sorts of, there's, there's a line about, like, I've never said the N word. You're not going to find any video of me anywhere saying that because it's not my vocabulary. I don't use it. Like not when I get angry, just not, it's not okay. But like sometimes on this day will pop up like my Facebook stuff and I will see some like meme I posted. I'm like, oh, wow. Like that's incredibly misogynistic. Why did I think that was funny? Like yeah. things have shifted and you know, I'm not for cancel culture to some extent. And yet there are, there's just different scenarios and different lines to hold people accountable for. And and what they own up to, I think, is a big portion of it. I digress. What were you asking? <laughs> well, you've now given – no, you've given us your th – I mean, everybody, I think, to some degree can relate. Everyone's trying to sort that out, right? Because, I mean, you're not the only one. I mean, we all make mistakes. We're in an industry that's so outlandish. You know, it was like all kinds of different things we've seen people do over the years. All right, calling all my DC people. I got your new favorite plastic surgeon, Dr. Mikey. Oh, by the way, tonight on my Instagram live at 7.45 p.m. Eastern, uh, 4.45 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for those of us in L.A., Dr. McGee and I are going live on Instagram. There's been a lot of controversy uh, because of a podcast episode I did with him talking about um, breast augmentation. Are breast implants safe? Well, Dr. McGee is answering all of your questions. Hop on the live tonight. It is so, so good. Um, and Dr. McGee is taking new patients. New patients get 10% off when they mention the Sarah Fraser show. So you need to do it. He is the best of the best. Uh, Cosmetic Plastics is in Bethesda, Maryland. They do everything. Full mommy makeovers, liposuction, tummy tuck, that C-section scar you might want covered up. They do it all. He's amazing. You will not be disappointed and you should never skimp on plastic surgery. Always go to someone board certified with years and years of experience like Dr. McGee has. Book your appointment today. Mention the Sarah Fraser show. Go to cosmeticplastics.com. All right. So Natasha and I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of switch to your personal life, Mason, um, with two things, because you've been very open about being bullied as a child. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you could talk to that. Like, why were you bullied? How do you think it's shaped you today? That is a funny question because before I hopped on the podcast with you, I was talking with my parents and we, we were analyzing that very thing. Um, and I think most of it had to do with being the new kid quite often moving around. You're just kind of a target because I wasn't uh, an ugly kid. I wasn't, but I wasn't athletic. I wasn't super pretty. I just was, you know, um, but I think I was so nervous for a while. Like when I even think about some of like the anxiety to this day of 
the first day of school and trying to figure out who you're going to have lunch with, like, that is a horrible feeling of like, am I going to be sitting by myself? Like, how do you pretend like you're okay with that? And I think I developed this like stone exterior, at least with my face, um, resting bitch face. (laughs) And I did it to protect myself. Like, oh, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> so I looked mean that and, was good. <laughs> um but like certain places I wasn't bullied um and I think that's why I don't take things personally either but like fourth fifth and sixth grade I was bullied uh for being flat chested by other flat chested little girls never occurred to me that they were also flat chested but um they had a club that was devoted to hating me they circled me in the pool and pinched me um i cried almost every single day in class and i was so glad to move out of there um that's the worst place um which was where that was in springfield virginia which i've heard that's an awkward age group that girls can be mean fourth fifth sixth grade but I've also heard that that area is, is a difficult one. Um, I'm so glad that the internet wasn't around when I was that young, because I think it would have made it that much worse. Um, so I really do understand that you're out of control and it sucks. Like I call him the Nozempic Ben on Ozempic doctor. I'm talking about Dr. Applin and his wife who founded My Optimal Body. I'm so happy about this. These are the first mindful eating-based doctors I have ever partnered with. They see patients nationwide, and they are seeing more patients who have been on Ozempic, and Ozempic has failed for them. What makes My Optimal Body so unique, and why am I endorsing them? It's because Dr. Applin actually looks at food additives, your, your addiction to food, your mental health. They do a whole look at you, including your gut health. Many of Dr. Applin's patients are working out, restricting their diets, and still gaining weight. Why is that? Because something's going on in your body and with your mind. Visit MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment. Be sure to tell them the Sarah Fraser Show sent you so you can qualify for a free personalized assessment, plus a bonus free 30-day supply of their gut repair product when you sign up for a customized plan. Again, that's MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment. To have your your where you spend the majority of your time, whether that be a workplace or school to be absolutely uncomfortable. And for some kids who have bad home lives too, like I just, I have a lot of empathy for people who, who go through that kind of thing, but it it made a huge impact. I think on who I am today. Um, I've got a much sharper tongue um, and have learned to defend myself and I've used humor a lot um, to, to, to deflect a lot to not be a target. And in turn, I think that helped shape my personality. I'm like, oh, this is fun. I like making people laugh. So I don't think I would be who I am today though, if I hadn't been bullied. I really don't. Now, did you ever blame your parents? Because I was an overweight kid. I was picked on for being fat and I blamed my mom forever. I was like, mom, why were you feeding us Pepsi and chips at like 10 in the morning? I'm like, this is your damn fault. I was the one that was picked on forever. Uh, No, I mean, I, I, I give her a hard time, but obviously went through therapy and like, but I mean, your parents were in the military. Like they, you know, did you ever like, especially as you got older, just go to them and be like, you know, why are you guys doing this to me? Well, I think I knew that 
I realized like it's not their fault. It's their fault, but it's not their fault. We can't really do anything about it. Like I understood that, like this is my dad's job. And I remember being proud of him and whatnot, but I was also embarrassed and I didn't tell my parents. Um, and so I was very angry and lashed out at my parents um, about it. And they didn't know anything about it for a while. Um, but I, it's funny, like the overweight thing, and I look at this, my mom gets defensive, but I don't mean it in an attacking way. They obviously, well, most parents, um, your job is to raise the best human possible and the, you try to do everything right and you're going to make mistakes no matter what. But my mom did the exact opposite. So never had chips uh, in the house, never had sweet stuff. And so I was like, yes, give it to me anytime I could. And food was also used as a treat and a reward. So if you're good, we'll go to McDonald's, dive down to the bottom of the pool. You get M&Ms, you stay quiet on the airplane. Here's an M&M. Like I got sweet cereal wrapped under the tree at Christmas time. So I have a lot of unhealthy stuff. I never got teased for being fat. It's weird. I never got teased for like acne or braces, like things that were just very like here, serve up on a platter of yeah. know, things you can come <laughs> at me for. I'm like, that's not what you're going to go for. You're going to go for just me being my human being. Okay. Just my personality. Okay. So <laughs> it's stuff like that, that, um, I don't remember where I was going with that. I swear to God, I have like early onset Alzheimer's <laughs> or like brain. Well, no, that, that I just you're like explaining like how you felt towards your parents, you know? And yeah. then, yeah, no, that's really interesting because um, it's so funny. Like you said, our parents do the best they can. Um, all of us, and Natasha and I are moms now. It's like it's so hard to know what you're doing and how it's going to impact mm -hmm. your child, you know? Mm -hmm. And now I just am under the theory, like, even if you had great parents and your parents were married and they had a good marriage, like, everybody needs therapy because it, yes, parents do yes. that stuff. They think that they're trying to make you healthy by withholding food, but that ends up kind of fucking with you. Yep. Or then they yep. overfeed you and that – it's like you can't She didn't win. know any better. And right. I will say even at the time, like, I had issues with food more as an adult because I danced um, all through my childhood. And so I think if you danced or you did sports or whatever – you don't think of that as exercise. And so when you stop doing that and you're still eating like you did, you're like, oh, I I just had no concept of what I should weigh or what exercise was. And I probably was delayed on that um, a lot longer than I should have been, but I learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah. No, Teenage they girls are tough. I mean, Sarah and I talk about this all the time of it's it's so hard to know like with your parents you weren't telling them but they obviously had signs that you weren't happy and I have two teenage girls and I struggle with how much do I get involved with making sure they're being kind empathetic not mean girls like the mean girls we all grew up with mm -hmm. but then you also want them to be independent and figure it out on their own it's like damned if you do damned if you don't I I cannot imagine I mean it's something that I've thought about quite often actually um uh, of technology and being a parent like I can't imagine I mean what age to give them a phone when I mean there's just so many things of like you want them to be well liked you don't want them to be too you know Oh, There's yeah. just a lot to, to have to navigate through. So I'm going to do a class with my kids all the time. 
This is fake. People on here are fake. They don't look like this anymore. They don't have the money they say that they have. And it's easy to bully somebody when you don't have to say it to their face because people are cowards and they're never going to say to your face. I always love this. I don't know if you watched the documentary. Lance Armstrong did a documentary on ESPN, which obviously Lance Armstrong is a cheat. You know, I mean, that is true. But what he said is for a while after he was caught, you know, his kids, his wife, like he was worried that when they went out, like people were going to say anything. And he said it took five years before anyone would say anything to his face. And they were at a restaurant and, you know, I don't know, there were some other guys there that were drinking and they (laughs) basically were heckling him for being a cheat. But I thought to myself, this is a man that's like an admitted cheater or like lied, bullied people to not cheat. And no one said anything to him in public for five years. Like people won't say shit to your face. You know, I mean, they'll I would I don't know. I'm just going to like give my kids all these examples. It's fake. Absolutely. It's funny. I think you might have asked me this when we talked before, too. And if you didn't, um, it's it's a question that I just guess get asked all the time, like. Like, I know it looks like you don't care what, what people say to you on the internet, but like, does it hurt your feelings? Like, do you, and I genuinely do not care anymore. And I, I get a lot of hate. You do, you do. I know. I'm starting to get it too on my TikTok and I love it because I feel like I that's, love it. I think that's when you know that you're going that's to like you've pop made off. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. I feel, oh my God, people tell me all, oh, it's crazy now all the shit they write to me. I don't, I don't look at it like I made it in that way. I oh. just think of like the free content. Like I don't have to come up with something. I just have to respond to you, which is right up my wheelhouse. And like, if I can make it in a funny way and it all started like that initially, I used to be super sensitive and I don't know what changed. I mean, I've always like, I don't care what strangers think about me for the most part because you know, Bob and Pascagoula, Mississippi in his mom's basement. He thinks I wear too much makeup. I'll live. I'll be okay. Now, if you guys, if I heard something like someone I I know or have like immediate, that would hurt my feelings, but stuff from complete strangers, I don't care. And I think it's important though, the same way of not to let complete strangers make you think that your shit don't stink. And I think that's what a lot of celebrities, like you can't believe the hype. So Oh my God, you cannot believe, okay, we're going to talk about your marriage because I know Natasha, we love relationships and I know Natasha has a million questions, but I'll end with this. I love Julia Fox, um, you know, who dated, famously dated Kanye West. She just did a TikTok showing her what her real apartment apartment, looks like. yeah, with the the rat problem. (laughs) Here's somebody who has millions of followers, right? So who we think and who hangs out with stars, who we think has tons of money, exposed to the biggest people all this stuff and she lives in this tiny little apartment in new york with shit everywhere like the rest of us and Mm -hmm. i thought good for you because you're actually showing how most of these people live but they fake everything i mean drake drake's even come out and said when he first started he like racked up on credit cards he rented a rolls royce would tell people that it was real try you know said it was radical manifesting but he would basically fake it until he made it People are so fake on social media. They're, it's so phony. I, I wish, I don't, I would never do it, but I, there's so many people that I'm friends with that I could out as like, they look like they have all this money and all this stuff, but they don't. It's so fake. I, I've always had a, it's funny. I have the, the opposite way. I'm like, I don't want to show anything that I do have because uh-huh. I don't want to get, you know, oh, I don't want to have to explain anything that like, all right, well, my parents gave it to me and I'm poor. <laughs> and if anything, the, the old men on TikTok sometimes feel sorry for me and maybe they'll send me a car. I don't know. I don't want to get in my own way. You need to be a sugar baby. Yeah. 
I'm too old for that, unfortunately. No, you're not. You think you are, but you're not. You're hot. You could still be a sugar baby. Isn't that interesting? You, you really are the opposite because people put what their parents buy them out there and they pretend it's theirs all the time. I Wait, mean, can I'm, you really be a sugar baby in your 40s? Yes. I know you've done extensive research there. Can we just yes. pause right there? I'm can you tell me it's a, it's a long story, but I'm working on a project around sugar babies, and I can tell you that you can sugar at all ages. All ages. You, you both sugar. could be sugaring. I Mason. I love my husband so much, but one of my greatest regrets is I was not a sugar babe in my 20s. I, I'm can you not be- good at faking it is my problem. Like if I don't, I You don't not, even have some to. Some people are really good at that. You my should, face sells me out. I can't. They, a lot of guys are into like being belittled and stuff. That I could be your niche. People, hey, I had a guy try to pay me to be mean to him. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then he was like, not that mean. I was like, oh, oh! Oh, wait a minute, bitch. Not that mean. You're getting too mean. What? Next I was level, like, you need to give me parameters here. I'm like, I don't know. You need to be, I'm telling you, you can make, you can make so much money and you never even have to meet them in person. Like if you just put out there, it's Mason on the mic and I'll belittle you, you get ready to make a fortune. I'm currently debating if I should become a foot fetish model because so many men DM me for foot photos. And I'm like, I, have, I have to do this. So many men. I really want to become a experimental foot fetish model and see how much money I can make. Like I, but I'm just like, do I have time? Do I, can I do that? Like, do I have time? That's your apprehension. Do, is, do I have the time for What's that? Me back? My husband's time. like, my husband's like, great, <laughs> do it. But I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be a sugar baby. People don't realize that. It's a ton of work. You got to interact with these guys. They got a ton of issues. A lot of more married. I have tried going down that path before. And I just was like, I don't like shooting the shit with anybody. <laughs> and unless you're paying me, like the guy who tried to do it with me, he was like sending me like 10 bucks. I'm like, dude, this isn't worth it. No. Unless bucks. you're sending me 500 bucks to shoot the shit with you. Like I just, I can buy my own coffee. Yeah. Like I'm not a 22 year old barista who, no. Yeah. That's why I can't be a sugar baby in my <clears throat> Late twenties. <laughs> right. Sorry, my bad. My I know. Bad. I hear you. Um, all right, Natasha. Let's ask. Ugh. We need to ask her all about marriage. I know. I want to hear more about like your personal life. And you and I were chatting before we started the Zoom. Some about both having come out of like really unfortunate marriage situations. And I know Sarah and I talk all the time about how <clears throat> these awful circumstances of our life, like surviving them, it was hell to go through it. But I know. For me, it's made me such a better person that I never would have been otherwise, but it took a freaking long time. And I even still have kind of issues just from, you know, when you're with an abusive man for so long, they just, they rewire your brain. So I'm curious, like how long it kind of took you to get your self-confidence back because you come across so confident and do you still struggle with some of those issues? I definitely still struggle. What was that? No, I was going to say, give us the setup. How long you guys were married? How old you were when you got married? So um, he was my first boyfriend. He was the first guy that showed any interest in me. And I was like, (laughs) hold tight, hold tight. (laughs) And uh, we met in college and um, we just should never have gotten married. Um, We loved each other, but we fought all the time. We bickered all the time should not have gotten married. We just didn't, I didn't know any better. And I think he'd only dated a couple of people prior to that. Didn't know any better. I just, 
all of my sorority sisters are getting married. I think I wanted to have a wedding more than anything. And I think that's a big question if I ever go down that road, like, do you want a wedding or do you want to get married? Like, take away the wedding, would you still get married? I don't know if I would have back then. And I think that's incredibly telling. And I don't think anyone could have told me any differently. I don't think I would have listened to them. Like, I thought I was, I didn't know any better. And I always feel kind of guilty talking about about him because I don't think he's a bad guy. And I don't know if I'm saying that from a place of like (laughs) the battered woman. He never hit me, Um, but he was verbally abusive at times, uh, especially when we fought. Um, He just would go for the jugular. Um, You're fat and disgusting. So I know those things are abusive and awful, but I also think he just, he had an older brother and that's how they fought. And uh, you just, you can't do that in a, in a, a marriage, obviously words, you can't come back from that. And that's basically what happened is that I am very competitive. It's funny. Every time I've lost weight in my life, which is not good. Um, it's to prove someone wrong. Like, oh, you don't, oh, okay. Watch this. I'm gonna get really hot. And that's, I remember telling him, like, you're going to regret saying that because I'm hotter than you. And (laughs) wow. So, you know, obviously you guys together, how many years were you married? We were married five total of, I think, eight years total together. Um, But he, when I look back on it um, now, he said stuff to be mean, to hurt my feelings, but I know that he loved me and thought that I was beautiful. I got into a relationship after that. Um, I, he and I both gained a lot of weight in the marriage and I lost the weight and I had started the radio station and I had never dated. So I think it was a combination of all sorts of things. Um, he was an engineer. He brought math books on our honeymoon. Like, Did you just, say math books? Uh-huh. Math books on our Like honeymoon. algebra? Oh, that's, uh-huh. that's not okay, a good okay. sign. Uh-huh. That's not a good sign, right? You okay. were like, we were very different people and we had very different schedules and he just didn't put, there was a lot of different issues. Um, but the relationship that I got in afterwards, I think the guy did a lot more damage to me. Um, I put the, the new guy on a pedestal. He was just so hot and he thought I was wonderful. He'd never known me when I was heavier and he said stuff to me that cut me to my core. Like I lost a hundred pounds at one point. He never knew me like that. So I think he put me on a pedestal and he had said to me one day, like, you know, your cellulite really bothers me. I was devastated. He wasn't saying it in a fight to hurt me. Like he really felt that way. And that was like my biggest insecurity because I had lost all this weight. And so you know, it looked like I had bad cellulite on the back of my legs. I was incredibly unconscious or not unconscious. I was unconscious about it. <laughs> Every time I thought of my cellulite, I, I just so got said I got unconscious. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was unconscious. Uh, I was super self-conscious about it. And it was like he took my biggest insecurity and presented it to me on a platter and said, like, that's why you don't like me. And so stuff like that, I think there was damage already done. And I think the guy afterwards just made it so much worse and that took me years to get over and i still don't think like i'm a hundred percent um i still kind of look at like i 
I look at my body, like I look great with clothes on. I'm a little bit heavier right now than I usually am. Um, but like, I want to get some surgery to fix some of that stuff. Like I don't wear shorts. I'd like to be fully comfortable and enjoy my life. And, and I haven't, and a, a little bit of that is because, you know, I, I ruined my body to some extent the first time around. And I don't quite have the, like, I don't have the love that I should have for it. It's getting better as I get older, but I'm certainly nowhere near what I need to be. But I am confident in certain things. And I just, I feel like I might, I'm realistic about other stuff. Like, I know no one's going to be like, yeah, give me that cellulite. Like, they're yes, not going to get will. excited about they it. They will, actually. They will. Will they? Yes. But there yes. will be somebody that loves yes. you so much and so genuinely that that doesn't matter. That won't matter. Yes. But I don't think they're going to be like, <laughs> show it to me. That kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, yes, the right person is going to accept me as me. And I look at it, too. I either have, like, really low self-esteem in some regards. And the other way I go, like, do you know who the fuck I am? Mm-hmm. You have a problem with my cellulite, but do you know like X, Y, and Z and how you, it's this to this, like, that's my thing, but I got all this other shit. So I got to talk to you, girl. Do you watch thousand pound sisters? There are men no. out there that are in love with your cellulite. Yes, there are. Uh, do I want I them get, though? <laughs> I got to get you into the fetish stuff. I'm telling you, there is a man out there that's going to love that. I'm not sure you want him, but. It's all out there. But- I, I I know there's men out there that <laughs> I don't like guys that worship the quicksands that I walk upon. I go, what's wrong with you? It makes you. I want to work for it a little bit. Like I want to be even. I don't want you to. Uh-uh. But I mean, and that's actually wanted- a new thing that I have to deal with now that I didn't have to. That you know, my my TikTok platform and stuff I used when I was in Seattle, when I was unemployed, talking about dates and stuff, well, those dates weren't going to see them. But now if I go on dates, they're going to see them. So I got to, I don't never want to be malicious or hurt someone's feelings. Um, I would never say anything bad about someone certainly who didn't start shit, (laughs) but like it's a, it's a tight line to walk these days of oversharing. Oh, yeah. We were just talking about that last week. And also when you're, I constantly struggle with this, like now that I'm back on social and trying to like grow it, I'm always thinking through the lens of could this be content? Is this situation content? And it's, it's tricky, because on one hand, I want to just live life just because it's Mm -hmm. real life. But you do start thinking of like bad dates. Okay, how can I use this? Can I make this funny? Can I post this? Is this a good idea? I think it's tricky. what I used to do when we had a dating podcast, we just would never talk about things right when they were happening. So give it a minute about them, but just not right then because a lot of it, you don't want to show your hands. I'm like, yeah, I'm obsessed with him. Well, if he sees this, the jig is up. That's true. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. How is dating going now? Well, uh, I'm not doing it so well, (laughs) very well. Um, I dated so much. So much, so much, so much after my divorce and all in Seattle. Like I was a gal about town. Yeah. Um, I would I was going on a lot of dates, but um when I started here in Dallas, I've been on two dates in a year and a half. And it's because I was too tired. Just 
I'm too tired to date anyone, like too tired. And all I did when I come home, I would eat and watch TV. So I gained about 30 pounds since I moved here. So I'm in the process. I've lost about half of it. I need to, to lose it all to, I think, even start dating again. Um, cause I just don't feel great about myself. So, but I think it's been really good for me to not date for the past year and a half, basically, mm-hmm. because I think I liked everyone and I never really asked myself, like, I just wanted them to like me. I thought of it as winning mm-hmm. as opposed to, is he right for me? No, not at all. <laughs> like I wasted so much time and energy and I think I'm in a much better place to go. No, you have to be really awesome now to interrupt my TV schedule. Um, That's awesome. Your TikTok has like over a million followers. What was one of the first um, videos that went viral? I feel like I had read it was, I think like a voice message, right? That a guy had left you with his mom. That was the the big, big one um, that had gotten me. I can't remember. I think I was already at like 200,000 or something. And that's the one that like got me closer to the mill. Um, but before that it had, I was telling old dating stories. Um, I think the first one I ever did was I was wearing a kimono. Um, and I said, I've got a first date tonight and I've got my kimono on. And I said, if, and it goes well, I can use it tomorrow morning as a bathrobe. So (laughs) I think that was the, the first one. Um, but yeah, the Brad voicemail one was the guy who stood me up on a date and um then called to tell me that he stood me up because his dad was in the hospital and then proceeded to call and leave me a number of other messages saying okay he wasn't really in the hospital he lied he was just nervous and then when i wasn't calling him back he progressively like flipped out wow and then he eventually had his mother call me so that's what went viral (laughs) what did his mom say um, to give him another chance and the oh. way that he had spoken to me, like, that's not the son that she raised and come on over for a barbecue. And I just was like, and you hadn't even been on a date yet. Uh-uh. We had talked via FaceTime, oh. um, and, and whatnot, but he stood me up on the date. That's insane. And then the mom called. Can you imagine? This is a grown that is ass some man. Priceless content right there. You can't make that up. Oh, I was giddy because I knew it was. I, yeah, you were like, oh, when the mom called, you're like, and this is viral. This is viral. Uh huh. And people were like, I can't believe you sold him out just for views. And I was like, uh, nope, I'm also doing it for money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your advice for all the um the TikTokers out there, like the women my age that are like just starting to try to get into it? What's your advice on how to like balance it all with social media and to get obnoxiously famous like you uh obnoxiously famous huh? i thought i was regular famous <laughs> it's like a, it's a little jealous famous um i think the best advice and it's advice that I, I took myself is just be yourself and lean into whatever makes you you so anytime i deviate from my normal like face here I can post a picture of or a video of my dog doing adorable stuff and someone else might load that and that might get a lot of views but that is not what people come to me for um they come for like the snark and the accents and the stories and so it's like all right what are you good at lean into that and you can do it in whatever way I mean there's 
there's a guy who has millions of followers and has uh, made a lot of money from having an angry face. I mean, you can make anything into something and that's you know a great thing and a horrible thing because the market is so saturated but that means that there's opportunities for people that never would have existed you know 20 plus years ago i mean even justin bieber youtube you know mm -hmm. if he hadn't done that would he have ever been discovered so so much of that if you're a klutz you know just tell those stories or show the videos um yeah you know, if you like spill on yourself all the time like all right here's my white shirt i'll check in with you at the end of the day let's see if i can go you know if you're a crier days without crying like just whatever makes you you lean into it love that um my I, I mean last question for me is like what is next for mason on the mic and that by the way is where people can find you on tiktok that's your tiktok name that's your instagram, instagram name yeah. at mason yeah. on the mic so everybody needs to follow you what is next yes, for please. Mason? um i don't know yet um but i am really really hopeful and optimistic and this time around being unemployed is very different than last time. Um, I'm at a different place um, in terms of, you know, my history now that I got hired because of my TikTok. Um, like that is a big portion of it. And, you know, Dallas is a great market to put on your resume and that is going to help. But people know me from, from TikTok. So I'm in a very different position bargaining um, and people knowing me when I was in Seattle, no one knew who I was. So that was a big just hurdle in general because most people, you know, work their way up in different markets and whatnot. So I'm in a different position with that. COVID not being what it was, there's a lot more jobs now. Um, so it's just a matter of finding the right one and timing. And, but I think I'm going to be good. I think this has all been a blessing in disguise. I, I really do believe that everything happens for, for a reason. Always. Such a good way. You can look at it one of two ways. You can be resentful and angry or the way that you're embracing, which I have no doubt is going to lead to amazing things. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, all right. We love you so much. Thank you for being on the podcast. We can't wait to share this with our fans and um, we can't wait to see what's next for you. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. It was nice to have some human interaction. <laughs> <laughs> and your fun employment. Love. Yeah. So good. Yeah.